The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's your nation's public radio source for news, tips, techniques, strategies in all aspects of real estate investing and real estate related investments. And today we are discussing a particular kind, a particular uh, set of property classes that we don't spend a lot of time on here at Real Life Real Estate, and yet it is becoming a uh, bigger and bigger opportunity for folks who like this kind of property. It is commercial property, true commercial property, not large residential, but rather things like retail and office buildings and self-storage units and mobile home parks and warehouses and strip malls and things like that. I have a... uh, wonderful guest today. He is widely recognized as one of the top experts in the uh, arena of real est- of uh, commercial real estate investing, particularly from a small investor standpoint. His name is Ray Alcorn, and he is the CEO of Park Commercial Real Estate, Inc., which is a real estate acquisition and development firm. It's in Blacksburg, Virginia, and Ray himself has been investing in commercial real estate for over three decades and has been involved in the acquisition, sale, development, financing, and leasing of commercial property transactions valued at over $250 million. Ray, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello, Vida. Thank you for having me on. Oh, we are we are thrilled to have you, Ray, because... Uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, I'm, I'm hearing more and more people come forward and say, hey, I'm, I've been offered an opportunity to be a partner in a mobile home park or uh, an office building or self-storage, and I don't even know how to start to evaluate the opportunity. Now, the other guy's going to do all the work, so I don't have to worry about that, <laughs> but I'm putting my money in, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> and... And, uh, you know, as with as with any investment, even if it's, quote, passive, even if I'm just putting my money in and somebody else is doing the work, I think you'll agree it's kind of under, important that you understand what the heck you're investing in. That's always a good idea. And, yes, commercial real estate does seem to be on everybody's radar. Um, not the first time. As you mentioned in your intro, I've been in this most of my life. And, uh kind of ebbs and flows, but uh, this particular cycle has been uh, very interesting in that uh, the calls for the crash uh, that uh, 
the, the residential housing market experienced. Everybody expected commercial to follow suit. And there were some, some value uh, declines, but nowhere near to the extent that single-family houses uh, experienced. So as an as a investment class, commercial real estate has really weathered the storm of the recession very, very well. Um, I would submit that the value declines we saw were more on the order of uh, just a normal cycle correction. Although there are people in Florida and Nevada and California that uh, would disagree with that, and rightly so. Um, but uh, in my part of the world, uh, things stay pretty pretty stable. Uh, you know, activity did decline just because of the, the upheaval in, in the finance markets. Uh, financing was very, very tough in 08 and 09. But that's loosened up. Banks have, have stepped back into the uh, uh, mix. That they, they're getting back a lot of the market share that they lost to securitization back uh, during the run-up. And things now are uh, clicking along really more on a normal state. So the what you're mentioning of, of passive investments, uh, that has become more and more popular. And it's all because of income. Commercial property generally produces very stable and very predictable income, and that's what people are after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in in conversations that, that you and I have had in the immediate past, um, we, we, uh, we've, sort of, uh, we've sort of discussed the fact that the reason that people who normally would, I mean, there, there's folks like you who've, you know, you're in commercial real estate, you've always been in commercial real estate, you're always in the market, you're always looking at opportunities and so on. And then there's people like me that are in the residential market and, you know, we might have a some sort of pseudo-commercial deal come, in, come to our attention once every couple of years. But the reason that people like me and like the listeners here at Real Life Real Estate are seeing so many more of these things being offered is because of Wall Street's sudden interest in putting together funds to buy commercial properties and commercial defaulted notes and all sorts of things and uh, looking more for money than they are for active partners who might actually be managing these things. That's correct. Uh, Wall Street has, uh, people don't realize it, but this is an ongoing thing. Uh, What's new this time around is the number of funds that have been raised for uh, acquisitions of uh, distressed debt and that type of thing, which is a really kind of a different type of, of investment than the ones I normally make. Uh, you and I have also talked about, I think there's four or five now that I've been counting funds for uh, single-family houses, putting together thousands of those, and uh, you and I know that that's going to be fun to watch. Um the commercial real estate sector has always been a favorite asset type of Wall Street, uh, whether it's on the debt side or the equity funds that are being raised now. I just saw Wall Street Journal today, I think, Blackstone just closed another fund at $13 billion or something like some ungodly number. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's fairly typical. Um, the, as you mentioned, the difference is that it's filtering down to Main Street now, and these uh, these uh, these opportunities and, and investments are being presented to uh, investors that may or may not know how to uh, 
judge their value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and as with everything, when you're offered one of these opportunities, uh, there are some out there that are excellent opportunities, run run by people who really know what they're doing and investing in deals that are really going to be good income producers and then there's probably some out there that uh one shouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole <laughs> either yeah, well you you hit on it it's all about people and first and foremost you have to judge you know who's putting the deal together and uh get an idea of their track record and you know plain and simple you want to uh if, if you're going to make an investment you want to invest with people that do have a track record of success in the asset class that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I should say the property type, asset class being commercial real estate, but property type, and it's generally in either multifamily or, or retail or office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we actually have run all the way up to break time already, Ray, but when we come back, we're going to uh, get your view on what some of the best and worst property types are. Uh, what sort of opportunities are out there for our listeners, both in uh, potentially direct ownership of commercial properties and also in uh, some of these other uh, things that are being offered out there. And we're also going to take listener questions about commercial property investing at 877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Ray Alcorn, and we are talking about what I call true commercial properties. Not uh, Multifamily apartment buildings are often kind of slammed in with that, but we're talking about the kind of properties that don't have a residence, like offices and warehouses and strip malls and grocery centers and... Mobile home park. Well, mobile home parks do have residents, but you don't own the residences. Uh, and we're also taking your calls and questions at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or at askvina at gmail dot com. That's a s k v like in Victor e n a at gmail dot com. And Ray, one of the one of the things that um, I just sort of want to say about. Uh, about my own my own interest in commercial properties is that I have noticed that um, I know I know a lot of people who are real estate millionaires like you know they've got million two million in assets but everyone that I know that's a real estate twenty millionaire or hundred millionaire or the ones that I read about that are billionaires are in commercial they don't own single family <laughs> yeah. homes <laughs> uh, yeah that, that I would agree with that. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously part part of the reason for that is just you know commercial properties do tend to carry bigger price tags than a single family yes. home. But I think part of what attracts people to that business is that it it is so much more systematic. It's you know the the, the evaluation of a commercial property is it's it's the numbers. It's not about what do I think of this neighborhood or, you know, what did the house up the street sell for? It's about what does it cost me to own it? What am I going to make from owning it? What's a reasonable return in that area? What might I need to do to it to get to that reasonable return? Period. That's exactly right. Um, Although I 
I have to say that that there is an emotional component uh, that as try as hard as I can not to uh, let affect the deal. I'm just like anybody else. I fall in love with buildings all the time, which is uh, the reason I'm partners with two brothers that could look down the table at me and roll their eyes and say, no, you don't love that as much as you think you do. uh, It it does come down to the numbers, and as I mentioned up front, it's all about income, and that's the attraction. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have about 200,000 square feet of retail and office space. Uh, We've been doing this a long, long time. I am partners with uh, my brothers and a firm that my dad founded back in uh, the late 50s, early 60s. And, you know, you, you and I both know I've got all kinds of formulas and spreadsheets and all those things that I use to evaluate properties and, and, and come up with uh, uh, values that uh, make sense for a deal. But what it really comes down to is, you know, I, I used to put all that in front of my dad, and he would kind of take it all with a grain of salt, listen to cap rates and ROI and all of this stuff. And when I got through with all of my numbers, he'd look down the table and say, does that mean we make money? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the key question, you know, do you make money? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's what it's all about. Uh, commercial real estate is generally, you know, residential housing and the difference from what you do and what I do is really a, a matter of scale, a matter of size. Uh, you mentioned the price tag is generally bigger, and it is, and that's really the attraction. It's, it's say, taking uh, you know $500,000 worth of single-family houses, which in today's market may be two houses, it may be five, it may be ten, uh, depending on what kind of, of houses you're talking about. But uh, I can put that same 500000 or even more into one property, and generally uh, predict my returns on a very stable basis over the next three to five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Ray's opinion of what is sort of hot and not out there in terms of property types. Because, you know, we all we all hear these things about Oh, you know, half the half the giant mall owners in the country are declaring bankruptcy. But on the other hand, you know, self storage is doing great, and it, it's all you know, it's all pretty subjective. But in in your view, right now in 2012, what are you, what well, are you looking best, at? The best way for me to answer that is, you know, tell you a little bit about what I'm doing. And as you well know, I can go on forever about this. So if you run up against a hard break, just interrupt me and we'll pick it back up. Um, you know, the, the, you, you mentioned multifamily. You, you didn't really want to talk about that, but it is considered part of commercial real estate and multifamily meaning five units and up. Uh, generally in the arena I play in, uh, somewhere above 75 to 100 units. Uh, it takes about 100 units to afford professional management is where uh, we start to, to to count it as commercial income property. Uh, That is the hot asset class. That's uh, what everybody is after, the demographic trends, uh, the fallout from the housing uh, meltdown. All of that has fed into what I see right now as the highest fundamentals, meaning uh, rents and occupancy, uh, that I've ever seen in 30 years. And all projections are for that to continue for much longer than a normal cycle. Uh, Development will catch up at some point, but it hasn't yet. 
so multifamily is what everybody's talking about. And at the other property classes, uh, you mentioned self-storage. I, I tend to separate that out into business commercial. It does have a real estate component, but it also has a business component to it. Uh, we have a hotel, for example, that I, I class the same way. It is considered commercial real estate, but it does have a business attached to it. And those uh, generally are doing pretty well. Hotel business is uh, has really picked up uh, since the middle of last year. Self-storage occupancies, uh, and I know you know uh, of some people in that business, uh, that's a very market-driven thing, and it's also very strongly related to the trends in multifamily. Uh, self-storage is generally best located near apartment complexes, uh, and the fundamentals of that business are very, very good as far as what it costs to operate in comparison to, say, a franchise operation where you you have to be there to run the business every day. Self-storage has a lot of systems. You mentioned those a while ago. And that really is the key to, be, to, uh, to being successful in commercial real estate is having good systems. Uh, we're most active in retail and office, and of those two, I'm more active right now in office properties than I am retail. Uh, retail has suffered since the recession with very slow growth in uh, consumer spending, which is the bread and butter of the tenants for retail properties. Uh, we don't do malls, uh, that those huge projects that you see. Uh, we're more the, the neighborhood strip center, grocery anchor strip center, uh, love discount retailers, uh, Dollar Tree, Dollar General. Those types of retailers have actually done very, very well and expanded uh, at a rapid pace throughout the recession. They, those business models are considered recession-proof. And retail, while the valuations probably in that particular property type took a, a bigger hit uh, than the other property types of commercial real estate during the recession, they've actually bounced back a bit, uh, uh, as, as all of commercial real estate has since about middle of 2010. So retail is a sector that I really like. It's my favorite. It's most fun to play in. Uh, but I'm very cautious right now, and I'm very, very market-driven. Um, and, yes, we do pay, pay attention of, to neighborhoods. Uh, we call them sub-markets, uh, and we, we have to make sure that the fundamentals of that market are not, especially right now, oversupply. So many markets in retail are just have way too much supply on the market that will take probably a couple of more years to absorb. Uh, office is uh, probably a natural step for somebody that is familiar with multifamily uh, because office leases tend to be with local firms or regional firms. It is a networking business. Um, you can make lots of contacts and do a lot of business just being involved in your community, chamber of commerce, uh, civic organizations, trade organizations, that type of thing. Our market happens to have a very active technology sector, and so we belong to uh, the biggest technology organization uh, that collects all those firms together. Mm -hmm. um, and office fundamentals, pretty much in most of the metros, that's 535 metros across the country. I saw the latest numbers, um, and occupancies are are ticking down, or uh, we're ticking up, rather, vacancies ticking down. And rents uh, are 
they're, they're steady growth, uh, 1.5%, 2% per year, and that is enough to uh, to build momentum in that property type. So that's that, that's as, about as good a thumbnail overview as I could probably give you. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Wow. Um, <laughs> a lot of information packed into a couple of minutes there. Now, <clears throat> Ray, there's um, I'm always thinking along the lines of, who is the real life real estate listener and where where do they fit into any given strategy and i think that a lot of a lot of people who have not considered commercial have not done so because what they perceive is that uh, these strip malls and these office buildings and so on are all owned by like insurance companies who have billions of dollars to invest and are looking for, you know, a simple 10% return and they're not looking for upside or the motivated seller or anything like that. But there's a there's a ton of people like you in the market who are you're you're looking for commercial properties the same way we look for single family homes. We're looking for the the don't wanters, the opportunities, the undermanaged properties that can be turned around and there can be an equity upside or there can be a resale upside and the the returns are not going to be you know some simple six percent year after year after year thing the the question is for someone out there listening who's who's like that and who would like to pursue uh maybe direct ownership of of a little strip center or something like that. How 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 much if they if they know residential real estate, how much more do they have to learn to be able to make a smart commercial investment? Well, that's a great question, uh, and I get it all the time. I talk to so many people across the country um, that have you know several uh, probably rental houses, or or maybe they've got you know ten, twenty, thirty. Uh, rental apartments or duplexes, things like that, and they their question to me is, how do I do what you do? How do I turn what I have into the type of portfolio that, that you have? And if you understand the basics of real estate, uh, you're really building, just building on what you already know to move into commercial properties. It's, it's not rocket science. It, it, we mentioned the numbers a while ago. It's about the numbers, but it's not you know, it, it's not complicated. It, it, Excel spreadsheets do so much today that I used to have to crunch mm-hmm. pages and pages of uh, uh, data for. And it, it's really just a matter of getting comfortable with taking a look at a rent roll rather than, you know, say 10 or 12 scattered houses. Uh, just imagine putting all of those into one property. And uh, then figuring out what that income is going to be and using uh, either historical data uh, or industry data, figure out the expenses, and it comes down to a net operating income line. And that NOI, net operating income, that is really the key number in commercial real estate. So getting to that number is I can teach anybody to do it within a half an hour uh, or an hour session. It's it's not that complicated. Uh, So... The, the fact the, the fear factor I think is what I run into all the, the, the numbers will put people off they're used to dealing with 50 60 70 thousand dollar house and all of a sudden we're talking about you know five hundred thousand or a million dollars or two million 
And you have to get past that. I tell everybody it's the law of significant digits. You know, if the zeros bother you, just drop the zeros off. And uh, <laughs> it really is the same fundamental thing. And uh, uh, you mentioned returns. Uh, that's really the magic. That's what we go for. And uh, uh, commercial real estate allows us to predict those returns, I think, on a much more stable basis than managing a residential portfolio. Mm -hmm. But that's me. Mm -hmm. um, you, you've got a lot of experience in that, and I've, I've seen the type of uh, deals that you do. And I think that, you know, you could sit down and analyze a, a commercial property with uh, a minimum of instruction. Mm -hmm. And I think it's within anybody's within anybody's ability. So, still contracts, just different contracts. Still financing, just different financing. Still, still evaluation, just maybe a little bit of a different evaluation. Uh, not something where someone who had already studied residential real estate would have to completely relearn everything from the ground up. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. And, you know, financing is a big part of this business. Uh, and, and as I mentioned earlier, the banks are back in the game. They lost a lot of market share to the securitized products that were coming out of Wall Street. Um, and those are gone. Well, they're slowly coming back, but nowhere near to the volume that it was. Uh, you do move to the commercial side of the bank. Uh, most of uh, single-family investors are, you know, they... They run up and get hit the wall, as, as I've always heard it put. Uh, once you get to four or five residential loans, that lender will pretty much uh, cut you off somewhat, but it's nowhere near as loose as it used to be. You move to the commercial side of the bank, and you're actually helped by having multiple properties mm. because the, the bank will look at that as capacity to pay. And so if you have income streams coming from multiple properties – then any one particular property is, is weighted less in your overall financial picture. Um, so, again, it's just it's building on what you already know. Uh, you probably know as much or more about finance uh, as anybody that I know, and I would put you up against uh, a commercial uh, bank loan anytime. I, th I think you would do fine with it. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate your confidence, Ray. We're going we're gonna to take another quick break, uh, talk a little bit afterwards about the financing options, and also take your calls, listeners, at 877-772-9658 or your emails at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Ray Alcorn, and I would be... I would be remiss if I did not mention that Ray is coming to Cincinnati for the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association's National New Strategy Summit and is doing a concurrent two-day workshop on commercial properties. This is something that uh, ORI has been doing for a few years for the more advanced investors out there or the folks who just, you know, I've seen all those speakers. I've been on all their webinars. I, I haven't been on Ray's webinar because he doesn't do that many of them. And <laughs> there's a, he's just doing a, he's doing a full two-day class. It does carry a, a, a different charge than the rest of the convention. But if you want to spend a couple of days really digging into evaluation, finance, property types, et cetera, uh, check out oreaconvention.com. That's O-R-E-I-A convention.com and take a look at raise two-day 
uh, concurrent class. Uh, Ray, we've had a couple of questions pop up on askvina at gmail.com. The first one is from Sue, and she doesn't say where she is from, but she's got a fairly straightforward question here. She says, I currently own a commercial property, and I have someone interested in purchasing it. I'm not working with a real estate broker on this, and they would like for me to provide them with the purchase offer to sign. They're not interested in further negotiating the price, so it should be pretty clear-cut with them offering to pay half the closing costs. Can I just fill out an offer to purchase commercial property form, open up a separate account for escrow, and have them sign the form, or should I have a real estate broker or attorney provide that information? Uh, That's an easy one. Get an attorney. Uh, absolutely get an attorney. I, I would not go into any real estate deal uh, without having that base covered. Hopefully she's got uh, somebody she's worked with in the past that understands real estate, but uh, do, do not sign a contract without having a attorney review it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're providing it, because if anything goes wrong later, they're going to say, not only did you rip me off, you provided the contract that ripped me off. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's the thing about commercial real estate, is I, I and this this is just me. Uh, I don't know other investors. Some some follow this, some don't. I never ever use a realtor contract. Uh, I'm not a licensed realtor, so there's no reason for me to. But more than that, uh, commercial real estate contracts generally are uh, litigated if litigation does happen under the Uniform Commercial Code rather than any uh, residential or consumer code. And there's always the element with a real realtor contract where it's pretty much built to protect the broker and protect a consumer, not an investor. So for that reason, I would highly recommend uh, a, sitting down with an attorney before giving the, the potential buyer any type of document. Mm-hmm. And Sue has a follow-up question. She says, when looking for an attorney for the actual closing, what are the typical closing costs, including any attorney's fees associated with the sale of a small office building? Uh, Gosh, that's hard to answer without knowing more details. Um, It could be, you know, I have an attorney that does a lot of closings for me. And uh, I, I know he gives me a good deal uh, because of the volume that we put through his office. Um, generally, I look at closing costs as just a general rule of thumb. And, and actually, this changes the lower the price gets. But somewhere around 1% uh, is kind of a ballpark estimate. So it's a, if it's a $500,000 property, um, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $5,000, maybe six. You get down lower than that, then it's not going to be that. That's not going to hold because there are certain costs that are going to happen regardless of the size. Um, so I, I would sit down. You know, if, if it's below if it's below five hundred thousand dollars, I would I would think that uh, anywhere except on the coast, closing costs are going to be well below ten thousand dollars. Okay, very good. Uh, question here from our old friend JC in Las Vegas, who we actually haven't heard from here in a few weeks. So, congratulations, Ray, for waking JC back up. He's, uh, <laughs> he's one of our our very frequent question answer askers. He says, "What information do you need to quote pre-screen a commercial property to find out if you want to find out more?" <laughs> That's a great question, uh, and and you know I probably look at somewhere around I don't know 
a hundred deals a year by look. I mean, I get an email or I get something in the mail and I say, huh, you know, maybe, maybe not. My generally, the first thing I do is I plug the address into Google Maps and then I take that little guy that you can drag down to the street to get the street view and I look around the neighborhood. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many properties don't that, that flunk that test. Uh, if, if if I see, you know, burned out buildings or, uh, you know, just a terrible, terrible traffic situation or whatever the case may be, that may that may cut that property from any further consideration right there. I, In fact, on my blog, I've got a picture of a gorgeous building that belonged to a cable company, and uh, it was on the market, and, I mean, it was gorgeous. I just, I would love to build the building. It was about uh, 30,000 feet three stories, I think, and uh, I, I dropped that little guy on Google Maps down in the street, and I looked around the neighborhood, and it was in a total industrial area with, uh, you know, wrecked cars. I think it was a junkyard across the street. So that's the first thing. Just take a look around the neighborhood. Second thing is, is the, the rent roll. Uh, I want to see who the tenants are and uh, uh, take a look at the length of the leases. Um, and if, if they're not credit tenants, meaning, you know, national retailer or national company that's renting office space or something like that, then I may want to know a little bit more about the tenant, uh, a little bit more about the lease, and usually I can just ask generic questions and, and get my, you know, the first cut of answers. Um, uh, after that, uh, it really becomes a matter of your investment criteria. Does the property fit what you're looking for? Uh, I see a ton of properties come across my screen that I never even click on because it's just not something that I'm looking for. It's not in the geographic area that I want to be in. And so that's a very subjective thing and differs, you know, with every investor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So setting some goals prior to getting online and going out looking at some properties. Absolutely. That That's probably the number one mistake that people make is they try to bend themselves to the deal rather than making the deal fit them. Um, You've heard me say so many times, I love commercial real estate because it allows me to control my lifestyle. And that, to me, is worth more than money. Uh, I, I can control where I invest. I mentioned geographic area. I know I have a very specific target of the type of property I'm looking for, even down to the sub-market level or what you would, you know, used to say in this neighborhood. And there are certain areas of certain cities that I don't want to be in, so I just don't even waste my time. But mm-hmm. take that time up front to develop that criteria, and uh, I spend a lot of time on that in uh, in articles and books that I've written. Uh, it's, it's just so key. Uh, I, I see way too many people chasing rainbows, mm-hmm. and that's just a way to get worn out quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, you know the first the first stage to being able to set those goals is is even understanding what's available and what the pros and cons of the different property types are, and what sorts of different financing are available for different property types, and and whether it's realistic for you to get involved in those based on. Oh yeah, the, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I get the question all the time: Do do I have to do this full time? Can I do this and keep a job? I, and and that is actually a great question because, yes, you can invest directly in commercial real estate and have a career. Uh, again, it's controlling your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and again, all things uh, that that when you have two days, <laughs> we can <laughs> we can get very deeply into. <clears throat> but uh, I want to address the 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 financing issue because we keep talking about the numbers and and actually uh, my guest last week was Scott Myers who I know you you know and who does um uh, the 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 business commercial of self storage units and he was able to share with us some some available financing from like the small business administration available for that kind of property but we also talked about the fact that you, I mean, you mentioned half a million dollars earlier. That number came out of your mouth. And I'm I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners out there going, ah, well, uh, better, better, you know, turn in, tune into the Reds game because uh, uh, I don't have half a million dollars. The, the, uh, well, you, you don't have to have half a million dollars. Uh, you do have to have money to play in commercial real estate. I, I I will stress that the uh, the folks that put together uh, 100% finance deals uh, are playing with fire. Um, there's an old saying in my business that uh, a dog can run on three legs, so 75% financing is uh, the ideal. And we're about to, I can teach you real quick how to do a break-even analysis. That uh, the math is really easy. Uh, and and you don't want to you don't want to over leverage a property because stuff happens mm-hmm. um, and the finance the finance of commercial real estate has uh, up until about 1998 1999 was almost exclusively the purview of local banks uh, my favorite is community banks uh, the big large money center banks the too big to fail crowd. They generally are not uh, the type of bank that I deal with, but community banks uh, or strong regional banks, uh, those are the, uh, are the people that uh, are looking for commercial real estate uh, loans. So you, you mentioned the SBA. The SBA will not finance a pure real estate investment. It does have to have a business component to it, which is why Scott's been so successful with that. Uh, and hotels also qualify for SBA. Uh, several other of the business commercial type of uh, properties would qualify. But for a pure real estate investment, community banks are the, the, the bread and butter source. You mentioned institutional owners, uh, insurance companies, pension funds. They also do some financing, although generally their minimum loan size is somewhere around a million five to two million. Um, and those those particular types of institutions can be very good to deal with if you're playing with assets in that in that size. Uh, community banks will require uh, somewhere around 20 25 percent equity in the deal. Doesn't have to be all your money. Uh, you can raise that money, as we mentioned, uh, syndicated deals earlier. Uh, you can be the promoter for that uh, rather than a passive investor. But a community bank is able to really, I use them at, in lieu of partners. I, I tell my bankers all the time, I treat you like a partner because you're cheaper. And as long as, as we do what we say we're going to do, you do exactly what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And that makes for a great business relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the the reality is, though, this is not something that, that even if you knew how to get a combination of owner financing and bank financing and and 
be into the deal for no money of your own, that that's something that, that you recommend from a financial standpoint? Well, there, you know, for every rule, there's an exception. And I have done 100% finance deals uh, and been very successful with them. But they're not, they're not the rule. Um, you know, they're, they're generally the exception. And there, there are certain ways to structure uh, 100% financing uh, that uh, makes sense. I'm always looking at it from my pocketbook, from my risk profile, and I'm going to structure that deal so that I win or I'm not going to do it. So if you're just entering commercial real estate, 100% financing is, is not something that you want to pursue. It can bite you very, very hard. Um, as you as you mature in the business and you've been around it a while and you understand how to structure deals, then it becomes a possibility. But quite frankly, uh, even, I mean, I've been in this 30 years, probably I've never run the numbers, but just a, a guess on my part, uh, maybe 10% of the deals out there would be suitable for uh, for that type of deal structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let me, um, let, let, let's, let's get into uh, uh, some practical issues around how these deals are found, <laughs> because uh, they're not they're not in your local MLS. You're not going to call up your realtor who sold you that single family home and say, "Yeah, let's let's go look for a strip center." Uh, I know there are some. Um, we won't mention the name, but uh, widely known commercial online MLSs that are available to the public <laughs> that have more or less reputation you know some some of them some of them have been called to me uh, the place where deals go to die <laughs> because that's well, that's the one the broker has uh, that's the one where the broker's already shopped it to all his good customers and 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 can't sell it uh, is is the finding of the deals is it a relationship thing do you, do you have to know brokers or are there are there sources where one can just go out and see what's available Easiest answer is all of the above. Uh, it is a relationship business, and I get a lot of uh, leads on deals uh, from people that I've known, brokers that I've worked with. Um, the online sites, uh, I don't agree with that. That's generally the the standard broker line is, is that there's nothing there that hasn't been picked over. And that's just not the case. Brokers don't like it because it's all about disintermediation. Uh, which means cut out the middleman. And quite frankly, it it allows principals to talk directly to each other. Um, We generally work with brokers. Uh, I I have probably a half a dozen brokers that I've worked with over the years that I know that they know what they're doing. Uh, If you're just getting into the business and wondering how to judge a commercial real estate broker, uh, the CCIM designation uh, is a designation through the uh, the National Association of Realtors that requires a rigorous course of study in order to uh, uh, get that that certification. And those are the people that I would gravitate to in, if I were entering a new market. Uh, most major metros have you know one or several commercial real estate firms that advertise themselves as nothing but commercial real estate firms. You're exactly right in that commercial properties don't show up in in usual MLS databases, and that's for a very good reason. Uh, it's just the, the audience there 
for MLS is generally focused on residential, and very few residential agents or brokers really have an understanding of what makes commercial property tick. And that's not a slight at all. It's just the way it is. It's just a different animal. Uh, so, it, it, you know, again, I mentioned earlier being involved in civic organizations, chamber of commerce, uh, trade organizations, that type of thing. Uh, this business is all about knowing who's going to make a move um, and, and when they're going to do it. Uh, retail has a, a wonderful organization called the International Council of Shopping Centers, uh, ICSC, and they have regional meetings all over the country where retailers come, developers come, economic developers also from different municipalities. They all meet on a regular basis and trade information. The retailers are more than happy to say this is these are the areas we're looking at. Developers, of course, are there with the properties they have to lease, and they have formal deal-making sessions times set aside. So once you get into the flow of it, it becomes very easy. It's just deals will have, you know, just cover you up. There's plenty of it out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting question that we just received at askbean at gmail.com from Mike in Columbus. He says, I'm glad you mentioned syndications. I have been offered the chance, and he puts he put that in quotations, the chance, along with some friends, to invest in one that intends to purchase a vacant office building in Cleveland, Ohio. It appears that a lot of the income will be taken off the top by the syndicator, who's charging, amongst other things, acquisition fees, management fees, disposition fees, and will own 15% of the company despite not having any money invested. The money is all coming from my friends and I, but it appears that he is the only one here who has no risk. Is this normal? (laughs) Sadly, yes. Uh, It is. It's typical. I I, I wouldn't classify it as normal being the type of deal that is worth considering. A vacant office building is uh, a particularly hard uh, project to take on unless you do have contacts in the local market. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, office is very much local market driven. If there's a tenant, you know, on the line that that he could put into the deal, then uh, that, that becomes a different uh, a different a different judgment so to speak I would want to know more about that tenant um, if there is no tenant on the line then I would look at the projections of the numbers and hope that there's at least probably one year uh, uh, built into the the numbers of carry cost. Uh, in the event that, that that building is not leased, because it is very, very typical to have a vacant uh, vacancy in office and retail that can last nine months, 12 months, even longer. Uh, as far as the skin in the game, the promoter having no money in it, I wouldn't touch it. Uh, that's just that's just a red flag for me right up front. Uh, there needs to be some investment on the part of the promoter. Um, the fees, uh, acquisition fees are, are very typical in syndicated deals. Management fees also very typical. It's the amount that I would be concerned with, and, and, and especially relative to the deal size. Um, you know, a $100,000 acquisition fee may be okay if you're talking about, you know, four or $5 million asset. 
if it's a million dollar deal and it's got a hundred thousand dollar acquisition fee, then that's another red flag. Um, and same with management fees. You just you want to make sure that uh, it's not overly generous to the promoter uh, through you know on the front end of the deal. Now that said, uh, the the promoter does have to have income, uh, or he's not going to be around for the exit. And that's the key is is to to take a look at the exit strategy for the deal. Uh, are they planning on refinancing? Are they planning on selling? How are they going to get the money back out of the deal? And he's got to live to that point. So there does have to be some fee structure. Just make sure it's fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet another reason that this is uh, complex enough that if you're even considering investing in someone else's hedge fund, private placement, or syndication, you might want to check out oreaconvention.com and come, come, come and learn how to know how to look at these things, because that's that's one of the many things Ray will be covering during those two days. Again, it's oreaconvention.com. For more information, we are out of time. We appreciate your time, Ray, and that of our listeners who sent in such great questions. And we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Mm-hmm.